So about two years ago, a church by the name of Lexington Church of Christ was in a similar situation to the same one that, that you would find it that they are in right now. One of their ministers had stepped away, and as a fo- father-in-law of former said youth minister said to me himself, well, you got some big shoes to fill, son. <laughs> Thank you so much. I know. I only wear a size nine. <laughs> Been in them for about 10 years now. <laughs> and as one elder has reminded me uh, time and time again, <coughs> Tom, um, <laughs> that I'm also short. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um, My predecessor was here for something like 14 years, and I don't think it's very arguable. I think he had a successful ministry here, Um, and I can see why you like the guy, although his taste in uh, goatees, CrossFit, and kilts are a little bit, um, (laughs) as the kids say, sus. (laughs) You kids don't, you guys don't know what that means. It's See, here's the thing. I'll give you a little bit of crash course with uh, the lingo, the kids, all right? Most of the time, it's just shortened versions of the same word, or it's just things over and over. So sus actually means suspect. Get it? It's not, it's not that hard. I know it's strange. It doesn't make a lot of sense. I'll, I mean, half the things they say don't really make sense, if we're honest. But you, you learn to pick that stuff up. Um, but in Dresden, Ohio, there was a guy who was recently let go from his ministry job. And every time I say that, it's almost like you can hear a pin drop in the room, and people are like, well, what, why, what happened? Was there anything crazy that happened? And I would say, well, no, nothing crazy happened unless you say that they hired me in the first place. <laughs> and the jury's still out on if that was a good decision to hire me here, too. <laughs> but who's crazier, uh, me or the people who decide to listen to me like they are right now? <laughs> but the decision was made. Uh, to begin looking for every available full-time position in the state, in the Church of Christ movement, um, because I want to go to heaven, you know. <laughs> See, you guys are like, whoa, whoa, is he serious? No, no, I'm not. You guys can relax. Let's <laughs> relax. Um, but there was, seven, I think there were 17 actual positions in the whole state. I applied for every single full-time youth minister position in the Church of Christ movement at that time, even to churches that I wasn't interested in whatsoever and I knew wasn't a good fit, and then also there was a church um, in this place that I never heard of called Lexington. And so here, here I am, I'm, I'm Google Mapsing, I'm like, where, where in the world is this Lexington place? And I'm like, Mansfield, oh, not Mansfield, oh my gosh. And some of you are like, yeah, we agree, Mansfield, ugh. And some of you, <laughs> and some of you in here are like, well, what's wrong with Mansfield? Well, I'm a, I'm a simple man, all right, so... I like food, and I like roller coasters. So uh, every year or two, I'd go up to Cedar Point, and I'd go through Mansfield. And every single time you hit Mansfield, you get there in downtown, and you see traffic coming literally at you as you're going towards it, too. And some of you are so used to it, you forgot that how crazy it is to drive into inner city Mansfield. But so here we are. We're like, are we going to get lost? Are we going to get in a car accident? We don't know. So you turn right, then you turn left, and then you turn left, and then you turn right, and then... You can keep going, and you end up hitting Cedar Point. But even though I live in Mansfield to, to right now, I still am not much of a fan of driving down there just because you get really lost and stuff. And I mean, I'm, I think I'm finally getting used to it, but especially when I try to go to my barber shop, it's like, okay, which way do I got to go to avoid these one-way streets and everything like that? But one thing led to another, and there we were, 
looking to sell our house in Dresden and buy a house up here in Mansfield. And on top of that, you see people's lives around me whose marriages were starting to break apart. And it's still hard to recall just the the firestorm that was going on in my life then. But I was left with only one option and one option only. To move forward. To go on. Even though I didn't know where I was really going to go. I didn't know anything about this church except for the people that I had met, except for the people that um, interviewed me and what I liked so far. Um, but picking up and packing and moving was, was something that I wasn't sure about, except for that God said that he was going to be with me and that it was the right thing to do. And I think that he is calling us to a similar thing today as a church body and as individuals. Will you bow your head with me as I ask for the Lord's help? God, you're so good. And we know you're good. And right now, I ask that I may decrease, that you may increase, that your Holy Spirit may move fiercely um, among your followers in here today, Lord. I ask that your good book just breathes new life into our souls, that your Holy Spirit convicts us, that it does all the things that only you can do, God, because what I say is going to fall short. What I do is going to fall short. Everything about me is going to fall short, Lord. And that's why it's so important for you to fill in those gaps for me, for us, Lord. Give us what only you can give us, Lord. Give us what you can only give us. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. You see, tribe, it was God's plan to get me here for a time. And I'm still not entirely sure of that span of time, and I'm not really thinking it's going to be ceasing anytime soon, if I'm honest. But he put things into motion for me to sell my former house and buy my new house within a span of two weeks of each other. And what God was doing with the Israelites in Joshua chapter 5, I would argue, was kind of cut from the same cloth. He was getting them ready for what was going to come next. He was lining everything up for a big moment that we will discuss the next time I preach Jericho. That was their destination. That was where God was leading them. That was where they were headed, even though they weren't there yet. Some things needed to be done first. So we're going to start reading in Joshua chapter 5, verse 1 through verse 12. Now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, Their hearts melted in fear, and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath Haraloth. Now this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the wilderness on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness during the journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites had moved about in the wilderness 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died, since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land he had solemnly promised their ancestors to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. 
So he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal in the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they eat the produce of Canaan. So this is the part of the message where I'm going to graphically describe and show a video of exactly what circumcision is. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. We are not going to do that today. I don't want to have to relive. Uh, I had to explain to one of my sixth grade boys at the last church what circumcision was. That was not very pleasant. So we're not going to do anything like that. Um, but it's important to discuss it, and it does pertain to the message today. But it's not entirely the main subject of this message today. You see, um, I thought when he talks about circumcision in this part that it's just an important part of the covenant between God and Israel. And it is, but there's actually a specific reason why they're doing it at this point, other than the fact that the scripture already says they had not done it yet. See, in Exodus 12, 43 through 51, God actually gives the Israelites the rules for doing the Passover. And it says in order for you to do it, you and the males in your household, whether free or slave, need to be circumcised. So the whole purpose of that was to get them ready to partake of the Passover. And for those of you who maybe forgot what the Passover was, I'll give you the super, super, super Cliff Notes version. Um, it's when they were leaving, the Israelites were leaving Egypt, and the Spirit of God came among them and was killing all the firstborns in the land of Egypt. And unless they had the blood of the lamb on their doorpost, their firstborns would die too. So this Passover event is very, very, very foundational. It's very, very important to the Judaism faith and also the Christian faith because we can see what happens with Jesus later on. But here's the thing with this whole circumcision event. They had to trust in the Lord. You see, they were all aware of that story in Genesis chapter 34 in which there was this whole scenario where one of the daughters of Israel, of Jacob himself, um, let's just say something bad happened to her by this guy named Shechem and then his father Hamor. And Shechem um, basically said he was in love with this woman. Well, first off, if you really loved her, you probably wouldn't have done what you did, but we're not getting into those details right now. Um, the point is, is that he asks for her hand in marriage. And the sons of Israel are like, well, look, here's the deal. Like, we'll do this for you, um, but we believe in this thing called circumcision. So if you really want to intermarry with our sisters, with our daughters, with everything like that, you need to follow our rules. You need to do this too. You need to get circumcised. And so here comes Shechem, goes back to his, uh, his city, and he's just like, look, guys, I got a good idea. And they're like, are you sure this is a good idea? This does not sound fun at all, right? <laughs> and... He's like, but if you do this, we can start intermarrying with them. It's going to go great. It's going to go awesome. So on the second or third day, I'm not exactly sure which one, after this, this whole city gets circumcised, the sons of Israel descend upon this city, and they kill every single male, and they plunder the whole city. And this is something that 
the modern-day Israelites in the Joshua chapter 5 would keep in mind. You're vulnerable when you get circumcised. And I don't know, I'm not a doctor or anything, I wouldn't necessarily call it um, any kind of hardcore surgery, but there's something going on there where you're going to need a couple of days of recovery at least. It's not a very pleasant thing to do. But that's something that they would have kept in mind when they did that. And they actually had to trust in the Lord when they were going through this because, newsflash, reminder, they had just crossed the Jordan. They're actually in the land of Canaan. They are in the promised land. They are not that far from Jericho. They're not that far from these other Canaanites. And that's when they decide that they're going to do this because they need to uphold Passover. But our second point for today is actually um, verse 1, which I'm going to reread. Now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, their hearts melted in fear and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. So God was protecting Israel when they did this stuff. He was protecting them. And you can see this escalation of fear. It starts actually when the story of Rahab and the Israelite spies that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. You have Rahab who's saying, hey, all these people are afraid of you. We've heard of what has happened um, with all this stuff. Um, We heard about your miraculous departure from Egypt because I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but Egypt was pretty much the world's superpower for a long time. And there's actual evidence that suggests that these Egyptians actually required tribute from these Canaanite peoples. So when they know that this little fledgling country goes out in such a dramatic fashion and they get all these different um, just wealth and they're basically plundering the Egyptians as they leave, they're tracking these things. They hear about that stuff and then they hear about um, the battle with Sihon and Og east of the Jordan and then they hear about how the water is drying up. And that's where we're at here in verse 1 where it talks about um, it kind of escalates and it says they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites which is a new time that it says this in Joshua. Because every other time it says they're afraid, they're afraid, and it keeps just building to this fear until this point. It's just one more thing that Yahweh can do, that our God can do, that their God can't do. And so it brings us to our next point in verse 9 where it says, God rolled away the reproach of Egypt. So, The thing about a lot of these ancient languages, and that comes with naming people, naming cities, and everything else, is they usually are kind of a play on words. So in our Bibles it says Gilgal, which actually means to roll or roll away. And this is the first time that God announces, hey, your exile's over. The reproach of Egypt is over. You don't have to worry about this hanging over your head. This is not the defining factor of who you are anymore. This is not the primary thing people are going to think about when they hear about you. And what's interesting is the same verbal root is used for the word Golgotha, the place where Jesus was crucified, the place where the reproach of sin, the slavery to sin, the captivity, the exile of us, humanity, ended. The place where we could have the opportunity to enter into a kind of different promised land than Canaan. One where the handing over of our lives to Jesus leads to the salvation of our very souls. 
And just like the stone that rolled away on the day of Christ's resurrection, he rolls away and removes our sin when we give our lives to him. Asking us not to look back, which gets us to our next point in verses 11 and 12. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. The manna stopped, tribe. It stopped. And I don't think we really understand the gravity of this situation. It's something we don't talk about a lot. Um, But the manna had been supplied for something like 40 years to these Israelites in the desert. It was something that they came to recognize, something that they came to count on, something that they was actually a, a surefire dependence on the Lord every day when you'd wake up and you'd see it. You have to understand that, like our passage describes, These children, these now military-age adults, either part of their lives or all of their lives had grown up with manna. And this is the first time it hasn't shown up. It's gone. It's been removed. It's not provided anymore. And I would argue that in some ways it was kind of like a comfort food to them. It was something that they just relied on. Something that they probably ended up forgetting that they relied on because 40 years over and over becomes a habit. And you don't even think about those things anymore. And I find it interesting that the moment that they taste produce of the promised land, the manna just stops. The moment that they taste freedom from the reproach, their, their dependence on the old ways, on the old things, is no longer needed. And some of you in here are probably like, why is he talking so much about manna? What's the big deal with this manna stuff? Why is he talking about this old covenant? And why does this have anything to do with us here in Lexington in 2020? Well, church, I'm willing to go out on a limb and say that we can kind of identify with this. We can relate to this a little bit. You see, our former senior minister was here for something like 19 years. And we loved him, and and many of us still do love him. We got comfortable with him. We got used to him. We got used to being fed by him every single week. And he was a good speaker, and he was easy to listen to, and he was a genuine guy, and we just, we just loved him. Clearly, as you can tell, I'm kind of a big fan of his, <laughs> and I still count him as a very dear friend. But in a lot of ways, he was our manna. He was our dependence. He was our comfort food. And in the moment that we lose him, where he steps away for very good reason, we don't know what to do anymore. And I can say that definitively because I think there are some people who haven't come back since he left in a very real way, proving that he was our man. And I don't say that to slander him or demean him. I would ride or die for him, and I still would. And it took an act of God to separate us. And I can never repay him for the good that he has done in my life. And I feel like a lot of you probably relate to that in some way. A lot of you probably think the same way. And I don't stand up here to tell you to forget him. Because I don't want to forget him. You don't want to forget him. We don't want to forget him. And we don't have to forget him. But God 
does have more for us ahead. Even though he stepped away, God has not ceased blessing us. It does not mean his plan for us has stopped. And he's, he's promising us that we're going to go to new places, that we're going to see new amazing things. And I can't tell you exactly what those things are because I don't know. But I do know that the last guy wasn't meant to go with us because he's not going there with us now. But that's not the only way that God has removed manna from us. Some of you remember in March the moment that we stopped meeting here corporately as a body. And many of us still haven't returned yet because we're in a riskier category um, and we just don't want to risk it, and that's fine if you don't feel safe here. And even though we've been gathering for months here now, things just don't feel the same, do they? I went out to eat um, with some family members last night to Red Lobster, and it's, so, it's, it's still a little disconcerting seeing how half the booths and seats are empty. You have to wear masks everywhere. We still don't have Sunday school. We're getting ready to start Kids Own Worship in the next month, which we need volunteers for. That's a shout-out for you. But we go to Kroger's and we wear masks. Um, We have to try and be conscious of social distance. Um, And we start washing our hands, which we probably should have been doing after all, right, people? (laughs) But in a very real way, we feel like we've been wandering in a desert. We feel like we've been in exile. We've been in captivity. And when we are in this situation, it's easy to feel like the Israelites and just want to run back. It's really easy to want that comfort food, to really want that manna, to go back to the old reliable ways because we know they're good and because when life was before, it was good. But tribe, what I want you to consider today is maybe it's time to let the manna go. Maybe God allowed us to live without some of these ministries for a time, for a reason. It's easy to see success in many of them because they were instrumental in your very own salvation. But what I'm going to ask you today is to consider that maybe there's new, fresh ways that can be instrumental in other people's salvation. Maybe there's new things that we can do that can have the same effect on the next generation. And don't get it twisted. I'm not standing up here to campaign to abolish prayer time or to abolish Sunday school or to abolish Sunday night kids ministries because I like those things too. But I think that God has allowed us a unique opportunity as a body to reconsider these things and how we operate in them and what we do with them. He has cut us off from the manna and the way that things are as a whole. Life is not the same. Like my brother Brian said earlier, things are just different now. So I stand up here not eager to run back to the old comforts. Not eager to do those things. And I I have a friend who has told me that sometimes God does his best work when we're uncomfortable. When he forces us to get up and do something about it. But it's time to stop saying we're disciples who make disciples. And it's time we start being disciples who make disciples. Because that's what we're called to do. Each and every one of us, the moment we declared our lordship in Jesus and, and 
took a little dip back there. That's what we're called to do, every single one of us. And if we're not actively making disciples or trying to make disciples, are we really disciples? I believe that there's a chance that we can leave some of the good for some of the great. It's time to go where we haven't gone before. It's time to just say, all right, God, we've tried it this way for so many years, for for however long it is, but I just want what you want for me. I want to follow you wherever you're leading me, wherever that is, no matter how uncomfortable it makes me feel, no matter if I don't like it, no matter if you're dragging me, kicking and screaming, because sometimes he does. And I think it's safe to say that we as a tribe are still in a healing process right now. Like those Israelites recovering in Gilgal, we're healing. We're managing. Some would use the word surviving. And also like them, we have to trust in the Lord to get us through this morning and healing process. We're kind of in this weird in-between place where the last guy has left and we don't have a new one yet and we're just asking ourselves like, God, what do you have for us next? I want to know. I want to see it. I want to participate in it. We're just like the Israelites right there. We know what God has done, but we're eager to see what else he can do. And when God calls us into this promised land, as he's calling us to move into the next phase of whatever we are as a tribe, wherever the Holy Spirit leads us, um, there's going to be certain uncertainties, if that makes sense for you. We're going to fall. We're going to fail. We're going to make mistakes. But as long as we continue to depend on God, he's going to see us through. He's going to pick us back up. But like I mentioned in the intro with me personally, we have to have faith. We have to trust in the Lord. When he says jump, we can't say, are you crazy? We have to say, how high, Lord? And even when we get overwhelmed or when we think about this insurmountable thing that life is or when we turn on the TV and see how depressing things can be, we still have to be willing to be obedient to the Lord. And that means... We have to be okay with whatever manna has been removed. We have to be okay with that because it's gone. Things are different now. And they'll continue to be different, and that's not bad. But maybe you don't know um, who this God guy I I talked a lot about. (laughs) It's kind of the whole reason we gather here on Sunday mornings. Maybe you want to start a new relationship with him or you have questions about it. Um, as I ask the worship team to come back up here, um, maybe, you not, maybe you know who God is, but maybe you've just gotten a little bit off track. Or maybe you would like to consider transferring your membership here with us. And no, we're not one of those churches that says you have to do that to get to heaven or anything crazy like that, but maybe you really like what God is doing here with our tribe, and you just want to commit to it in a fresh way, in a a deeper way, and say, I want to be a part of this. I want to partner with this church. I want to partner with God in the way that this church does ministry. But whatever 
the Holy Spirit is asking of you today, whatever God is asking of you today, we want to give you this opportunity to respond to it.